Hello and welcome to Film School for Dad, the podcast where we attempt to rectify Dad's lifetime squandered on serious pursuits and altruistic activities that somehow led him to overlook pretty much all of popular culture. I'm Harv. Uh, and it's Dad here. And what film are we watching? Do you remember? Uh, I think you've called it Return of the Planet of the Apes. You're pretty close. It's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Rise. Okay. <laughs> Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a 2011 film starring James Franco, Frida Pinto, and a monkey named Caesar played kind of by Andy Serkis. So first of all, we probably need to ask if you've seen the original 1968 classic, Planet of the Apes. Look, I might have seen it in part on TV, uh, not certainly not in the cinema. So you're aware it's a Charlton Heston movie. It's a bit of a classic. It's a... Uh, uh, I was totally unaware that Charlton Heston was in it. So that oh, okay. Rung. Yeah. So as I say, I might have seen a few scenes from it. Yeah. I've got in- images in my mind, but no story or or people or or anything like that. What images do you have? Is it? Does it um... just um, um, men walking around with um, in ape costumes or yeah. with <laughs> with with um, ape like back of their head? Yeah. Because Planet of the Apes was a very big thing back in the day. They had the movie. They had several movies. I think there was a whole TV series around it as well um, with, yeah, and as you say, it was all just people walking around in plastic ape costumes. And it was kind of hokey, but it was pretty cutting edge for its time, I think, for the makeup effects of, of yeah, the time. Yeah, well, I was at um, either at university or shortly out of university back then and um, would have hardly ever gone to the movies. Well, I wasn't born yet, so obviously I didn't see it in the cinema, but um, I have seen Planet of the Apes, the original. I don't think I've seen any of the sequels, or if I have, I don't remember them very well. Okay. Well, if I've seen it, it's it's many years after it was released. Okay. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, having no history. It's probably a good thing because those movies were kind of hokey, and I would imagine you would be feeling trepidation right now if you thought that you were seeing like a Planet of the Apes film, you know, knowing what that Charlton Heston one was like. Well, I'm curious. Yeah, well, maybe on the other side of the watching the movie, we can talk a little bit about the original and I can explain to you exactly sort of what it was like. But as you can probably tell from the title, this film is related to that. Now, how it's related is a little bit complicated. It's really only in name that it's related to the original movies. And if anything, this one serves as, and I've written this down, This one serves as a kind of a prequel to a remake of the original, which was planned to be the conclusion of the reimagined trilogy of which this film is the first chapter. So I'm pretty sure that explains it. Um, I'm not surprised you wrote that down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think if you play it back slowly, it makes sense, but I'm still not sure, even though I've written it down. You'd have to say it about five times before I would take that in. Yeah, that's right. But you can ignore all of that because you don't have any history of Planet of the Apes. So. Suffice to say, this is a different kind of film from that original one. And I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to give you a bad impression of it, but it's a little bit in the Jurassic Park vein where it's kind of a blockbuster movie, but it also attempts to have some serious questions involving, you know, evolution, human intelligence, 
the ethics of genetic engineering, those types of things. I think it does it better than Jurassic Park, and I'm hoping you will too, because otherwise it'll probably get whatever Jurassic Park got, which was like a four or something, I think, seem to remember. It was fairly fairly low, maybe a five. And this is the second attempt that Hollywood has made to modernize the original Planet of the Apes series, the first of which was just notoriously terrible. It starred Mark Wahlberg, and it was just awful. Everybody hated it, and it was basically ridiculed out of the cinema by uh, any respectable film watcher. This attempt was much more watchable and really surprised people because uh, it's it's a bit of a it's more of a thoughtful film than you would expect. Everyone was just expecting kind of a popcorn movie, lots of monkeys fighting people and stuff like that. And it's not like that at all, really. It, it is though part of a trilogy, and part two and three gets into a lot more fighting between apes and people. So if that's your thing, you can watch the sequels. All right. Okay. So this is part one of a three part. It it turned out that way. And I think it was always intended as a trilogy. So basically this is, when I said that stuff about this being a prequel to the original, that's really, you know, blah, blah, blah. What I mean is um, they intended this to be the first chapter of a trilogy and to start earlier than the original film started. So um, it's explaining the origins and how all this stuff happened, which is what makes it the most interesting of the three movies, I think anyway. I take it it was a box office success or we wouldn't be watching it. No, it was a box office success. It won one Academy Award and it was just for visual effects, but the visual effects are pretty impressive and they get even better in in the sequels. The sequels are amazing. They're they're just photo real. I, I think the cutting edge part of it was more not just the rendering of the animals, but the fact that they were played by humans using motion capture. So I don't know if you ever, you know about Lord of the Rings, right? Mm. This guy mm. called Andy Circus played Gollum in Lord of the Rings, which was a creature, and it was very photorealistic and animated um, based on his real movements. This is like the evolution of that technology, and the same guy is still playing the digital characters. He played King Kong before this. He played uh, Gollum before that. He, he's very rare. Like you actually see him in a film in person. <laughs> he's become like the motion capture guy for some reason, and he's quite a good actor, so it's a bit of a shame. I haven't seen Lord of the Rings, so um, I've been to where they were made, and even that didn't uh, make me curious enough to watch them. Did so. you go to the Peter Jackson Hobbiton thing, did you, where the, all the... Well, a number of places where they said they were made in New Zealand, yeah. That's cool. I'd like to go to Hobbiton. I think Mariella wants to live there. I mean, it was, <laughs> it's not called Hobbiton now, is it? Is it called Hobbiton now? I don't even know. I think um, Peter Jackson lives there now or something weird. Okay. It's all very mm. strange, but I think he took the set and made it into a real life like place. It'd be one of the places that you'd go if you're doing like a Lord of the Rings tour or something. Well, we didn't do a Lord of the Rings tour as such, but it, it was offered to us. Yeah. Yeah. They're very proud of it. I mean, it was a big deal actually getting all that stuff shot in New Zealand and um, getting all the effects and everything done there. Oh, absolutely. When when you fly over there on Air New Zealand, the pre-flight safety message and everything has got a Lord of the Rings theme. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's um In a, in a way, it's a shame. I'm sure there's a lot more to New Zealand than just Lord of the Rings, but um, I guess mm. it's a big deal and everybody. it's something that everybody knows. So They know. certainly want you to know about it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> did you hear we, mm. we shot Lord of the Rings here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, well, we shot a couple of big movies just down the road here from us in uh, Lara, Victoria. Well, the, yeah, we watched The Matrix, right? That was shot in Sydney. Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, all of those cities um, were, were, part, were Sydney-scapes. Those... Um, Mel Gibson, what what are they called? Mad Max. Yeah, Mad Max. They were shot just down the road here, yeah. Is that right? Hmm. Near the Yu Yangs. 
Right, because yeah. it's all supposed to be desert, right? So there must be some wide open plains and stuff there, is there? There are wide open plains, indeed. Okay, yeah. I did not know that. There you go, some trivia. All around, all around the Yu Yangs is flat as a tack. Nice. So if you had to guess, based on what you know, what, I was going to say Lord of the Rings, what Planet of the Apes is about, what would you say? Like, from what you've known, what you've seen, what would you expect of a Planet of the Apes movie? I'll tell you what, it's bloody hard to uh, have much idea, to be honest. Um Something to do with humans going to another planet? Sure, you would expect some apes, though, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'll be I'll be shattered if there's no apes. <laughs> there's, there's not that many apes. There's quite a, yeah. There's enough apes, I think. In this, right. it's actually one of the reasons I thought this might be worth uh, a go. It's a bit of a risk whether or not you'll like it. But if you can convince Mum to sit with you, she'll love it. She, you know, she's she's got a monkey obsession, so okay. At least well, we'll get that one out of it. I'd, I'll have a go. I'd love there for her monkey, to see it. She'll love it. There are monkeys in it. That's there are. Yes, there's yeah, definitely okay. monkeys in it. She will. She will really, really enjoy it. There's one in particular that she will like, actually identify with, and right. the name is Maurice. And you'll see when you watch it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh well, if if there's no NCIS on tonight, tonight she might uh, come and watch. Yeah, see if you can bend her arm. I think she'll. Uh, this 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 movie was almost made for her. I think pretty much. Okay. It's right. like um, remember that old one, Project X, that we watched with Virgil. Ah, oh, I remember that. And yeah, we used to yeah. get Mum to watch that. Yeah, we were talking about it just the other day. Yeah. Yeah, that was a Matthew Broderick movie, wasn't it? Uh, really, really old one. This has got a lot in common with that. In fact. Okay. I think we've done enough monkeying around. I reckon we yep. should just watch it. What do you reckon? All right. I've really gone in with so few clues, to be honest. I, I think all I could possibly do is probably lessen your enthusiasm to watch it. So okay. <laughs> let's just do it. All right. Let's watch it then. All right. Well, we just watched Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Again, not quite together, but um, and and even less together than the last lockdown edition of Film School for Dad. But um, we were even a night apart this time. We had technical issues and all sorts of things. So how do you enjoy it, Dad, once you finally got there? I've just finished it and uh, I enjoyed it. The way they did the apes was remarkable. Okay. You mean the visual effects? Yes. Yeah. Yes. The visual effects. It's um, one of the longest lists of uh, people working on a movie I've read. Yeah, that's right. It's a long credit scene. It's lucky they have some stuff at the end, right? That's uh, yeah. a yeah. bit so interesting. You, you, so you can see the technical effort that's gone into it. Uh, it was very effective. I got a uh, sort of trite message out of it. You can take the ape out of the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out of the ape. Well, I think there's there's definitely that message, but I think you could take it even further if you wanted to. But we'll get into the message a little bit later. I think that's of course. But um, I was looking for it all the way through, and really, I was just um, you know captivated by the way it was done. Yeah, I think that's probably its strength. Yeah, I didn't develop any empathy for any human character in it. Nope. At all? No, I don't know if you're supposed to. I don't think you are. No. Well, I, I found that a little bit surprising and disappointing. Well, in a way, I mean, the only character that I really liked was um, Frida Pinto, the girlfriend, because she's just so ridiculously good looking that I wouldn't care whether she was a good person or not. I would like it no matter what. Well, she was good looking, but she didn't make a massive um, impact on the story. She, she had one moment in the whole movie where she actually did something 
I can't remember what it, what it is because it was two days ago now that I saw it, but there was something that they just threw in there. They were like, she's just been standing next to him for the whole movie doing nothing, looking good, but nothing else. That's pretty much right. Yeah. She taught him a bit about uh, how to talk to uh, Caesar. That was about her contribution. And she was the cautionary character at the start where she was the one who said, he's not supposed to be in your house and all that. But then she just kind of dropped that and said, well, we're girlfriend and boyfriend now. So, Well, she went further than that. She said, I love them, but, they're, but I'm also scared of them. Yes, that's right. She foretold, um, I guess, uh, how it was going to unfold. But uh, yeah, the lack of human characters was, that attracted any empathy at all, that, that was unusual. I think deliberate, I would say. The the way I look at it, and I think the thing that's most innovative about it, other than special effects, of course, is that it's a story told from the perspective of the animals and not the humans. The only real perspective that you get of a human is James Franco's character, the one who trains him and, and raises him. But even that, Caesar's always there, so... It's really him that's the main character. Absolutely. Yeah, Caesar's the main character and holds your attention throughout. There's no doubt about that. He does develop a uh, human-like character, though, of course, his behaviour is not human-like. No, but he was played by a human, so the way they did it Mm. uh, was... Yes, I saw that at at the finish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's basically what's called motion capture, so they... They actually had a guy, Andy Circus, who played Gollum in Lord of the Rings, we mentioned in the intro. Um, he has, has a suit with dots all over him, but he's actually there on the set with them. So he's actually okay. there. They film with him. They can pat his head. They can do all of that stuff. And he contorts himself to be as ape-like as possible. And then they take the dots, the tracking dots and all the data from the suit, which is all you know, digitally tracking all the movement and stuff. And then they put that into the CGI character. And so the performance actually comes through, and I think that was the real breakthrough of it. It was that his facial performance, when you look at Caesar, if you know what Andy Circus looks like, you can actually see him sometimes. It's very strange. Okay, yeah. I'm not surprised. I mean, I don't know what he looks like, of course, but um, I'm not surprised. He certainly had uh, human characteristics, and in terms of the way he was thinking, you, you felt you were looking at a human. But in the way he was acting, of course, you weren't. So did you find the CGI convincing enough that you just saw an ape and you didn't see CGI? Or were you always kind of in awe of movie magic but not quite convinced? No, no, I was totally convinced. Okay, that's good. Mm, No, no, I, I didn't have any problem getting into the ape characters. I found that fascinating. Obviously had a lot of um, empathy for Caesar and several of the other apes. The human characters, it was worse than having no empathy for them, actually. I mean, there was a preponderance of assholes in the movie. It is a somewhat anti-human film, which normally Mm. annoys the hell out of me. But I figure the apes are pretty close to, like they're sort of, they start as apes, then they get the intelligence of humans. So they're saying human civilization is bad, I think, to an extent, but they're not saying humans are bad. They're just saying we we sort of got into a bad state with civilization more so. Well, they're not, but there was some, what I would say, unnecessarily bad people like the next door neighbor one could understand him being afraid of caesar having an ape live next door <laughs> when he starts beating up the old man that's pretty unpleasant oh yeah it's shocking it was quite notable that no one in his family or anyone else intervened to uh, 
sought that out. So he had no redeeming features, which I thought was a bit unnecessary to make the neighbour such a... But he cops everything. Like, he, he he's, he's the one who keeps getting injured and hurt and put out. It's just, well, it's know. ridiculous. Like, I found him a comical character. I didn't have any other feelings towards him other than... No, I, I didn't find myself laughing, but I can see why you would. I'm surprised he didn't step on a rake and get hit in the face. <laughs> exactly. I mean, just everything else happened to him. <laughs> the exactly. poor guy. And then he ends up getting the virus at the end and <laughs> being was, responsible for the whole outbreak. <laughs> Pepsi was just traumatised, yeah. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud when the main guy's colleague sneezed blood onto his face. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it's like he was in his head. He was going, well, I wonder if this day is going to get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and when they start throwing cops, which are probably, you know, some of them were probably good people with good families and uh, who were going to miss them and everything, start throwing them off the Golden Gate Bridge. It had a clear anti-violence message that Caesar was trying to stop them from being violent. And then at a certain point, he just gave up on that. And I didn't feel it was motivated enough. Like, I didn't feel like things had gotten so bad that they had to be throwing people off helicopters. But he'd let the cat out of the bag. I mean, he was violent himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to start with, and I think he realised, well, I took it that he just simply realised it was there was no future in it. It wasn't, wasn't doing anyone any good. He certainly had the emotion revenge, didn't he? When one of his friends was killed, yeah. When he didn't like you, he fixed you up. He yeah. did, yeah. But yeah. by the same token... From his perspective, all he's trying to do is cross a bridge and get into the trees. He wasn't trying to hurt anyone. Oh, by that stage, but I'm talking back in the in the zoo. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it was a bit strange why they had to have a person who hated animals working in a zoo, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like in my experience, most of the people who work in zoos love animals. So, you know, the anti-human, you, you called it anti-human. I had, it hadn't occurred to me that it was quite that bad, but there was a, a real lack of human characters with any depth and uh, too many redeeming features. And I, I think that's, it is actually a trend. And I think, you know, I mean, I characterize it as, as an agenda when I talk about it on Popcorn Lobotomy, which I do quite often, because there's a lot of movies where it's just saying human beings are despicable, they're a virus on the planet, they should be wiped out. And, you know, I, I just don't accept that as a... Well, As a reasonable like message. Almost the animal rights agenda, is it? Yeah, I guess it could be. I don't know where it comes from exactly, but it's it's quite consistent. Not that that's all bad, but when it's taken to extremes, it's ridiculous. I think it comes from a, you know, a eugenics history where, where we've had mm. sort of a, a, a small movement of very wealthy, powerful people who have been anti-human all along, and they're funding these movies, you know, their money yeah. is funding these movies. So maybe they tend to fund things that say humans are shit because they kind of think that themselves. It's possible, right? Like mm. it's it's yeah. it's it can't be organized, but it it's a, it could be a subtle thing where it's just that's where the money ends up because when you get rich, you tend to hate the poor people. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, the central message of the thing was stuff around with nature at your peril, really, and um, the whole idea of fast tracking some drug having as profound effects as that one was clearly having is is clear, clearly incredibly immoral. The lead player in the movie was as guilty of that as anyone else. It's kind of a prescient message at this point where we're actually currently rushing through a vaccination as fast as we can. 
Yeah, it, it struck me several times on the way through that it wasn't dissimilar to what we're watching on the TV at the moment. It's not, no. I mean, there's, it's a bit more of a, um, a visual virus. It seems a little bit more fatal. Well, not just the virus, but also <clears throat> also the pandemonium and the violence. That's, uh... I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, I, I actually, when I picked it, you know, I knew there were some parallels to what's happening now, but when I was watching it, I was like, it's not parallels. This is, you know, this is a, a movie where the message is fitted for exactly this time. Yeah. And in fact, uh, quite ironically, I was watching a bit of it on, um, on the news today and uh, San Francisco came up for the first time. Right. So, uh, the riots started in San Francisco sometime in the last 24 hours. So. Is that right? Jesus. And I, I've got to say, with that movie, I didn't realise it was in San Francisco till they. Do you see the well, bridge? Actually, no, the tram actually gave it to me first, but then the bridge. Yeah, don't you love that bit where the where the um, where the apes decide to take the tram? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I laughed at that yeah, too. That's right. <laughs> like, I knew straight away it was San Francisco at that point. All ah, right, there's a bit when he gets taken to the park the first time, and they show them going over the bridge because that's how they establish Caesar knows how to get there. Ah, that's right. There was too, but it, yeah, but that sort of the penny didn't drop then. Yeah. So um, it's funny though. The San Francisco Bridge always cops it in movies. If it's not New York, it's San Francisco. <laughs> the bridge always collapses. There's always some tidal wave or alien attack or giant monster or something. They always end up, you know, in the in the Godzilla remake, which was uh, uh, was made in the '90s at some point. You know, when they started having the technology to do Godzilla well. He ends up dying on the San Francisco Bridge and breaking the whole thing. It, it always cops it. It's like a, a trope of movies to to destroy a landmark, and that bridge is one of the main ones. Yeah, well, I never thought I'd see another um, Air Force One moment, like when he pushes the guy off the <laughs> off the plane. But yeah, uh, that was what it was like when the uh, the one that was uh, fresh out of the lab pushed the helicopter and the and the chief executive off. Cuba, right? The one with the, the damaged eye. Yeah. How yeah. cool is Cuba, though? Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. what a great character in that movie. You know, he becomes actually the villain in the sequels. He, he ends up being a problem child, as you might imagine. Yeah, well, not surprisingly. He's quite likable in this one, just from just being pure ugliness. Did you like Maurice, the, um, I don't know what they're called, those baboon, the ones with the big face? Oh, he, he was brilliant. Yeah, the baboon. Yeah, he he was brilliant. So was the gorilla. Yeah. The thing that struck me though, and I think this was a it was a choice they made, which they shouldn't have made. When they take the the serum, the virus, it changes their eye color to green. Yeah. And it, even though their rendering computer graphics is really good, apes should have brown eyes. Mm. And it and it puts it throws them for me back into that uncanny valley. You know the uncanny uncanny valley that that phrase. No, no. What do you mean? Uncanny Valley refers to there's like a curve, right, of realism versus knowing that something's a special effect or that it's fake, right? So oh, like a cartoon, everybody knows it's fake. No one worries about it, right? You don't get distracted by it because you know it's fake. But as it approaches reality, it gets an effect in humans where we go, hang on, that looks almost real, but I know it's not real and I can't tell why. And it distracts you and it pulls you out of the story. I see what you're saying, yeah. So doing um, animals and human-like characters in movies has always been trying to beat that uncanny valley. That's always been the the goal and the and the real challenge of it. Well, I think I I think they did. I I, I didn't find the green eyes um, taking me anywhere near cartoon land or anything like that. No, no, but it's because it's so close. That's that's what uncanny valley is. It's not when it looks unrealistic and you know it's unrealistic. 
It's when it almost, it's so close that you, you're thinking to yourself, that looks realistic, but you're not thinking, you should be thinking nothing. You should be thinking there's an ape. And for me, for me, it just, every time uh, they showed an ape that didn't have the green eyes, like Kuba before he got given the syrup, he looked amazing. That rendering was just, it just looked like an ape lying on a, on a medical table in a lab. And I, I wasn't questioning it. When he got the eyes, I just went back into that kind of, uh, you know. Uh, fair enough. But um, as we said earlier, they were lapsing between uh, being, you, you were treating them as human one minute for, for certain behaviour, and then you were treating them as apes the next. For, for other behaviour, so you were you were shifting from one to the other. So um, yeah, so the the green eyes didn't detract uh, detract from that for me. It didn't um, didn't distract me uh, because um, I I just took it as um, I mean they could have been the humans could have been given green eyes, you know. Um, to, to, it was just a symbol that, that they'd been injected with some serum that was making major changes to their uh, brain. Well, the, the the actual the fact that their eyes went green was used many times during the movie as a really important thing to establish, uh, you know, who had been given the serum and who hadn't. And um, yeah, yeah. Caesar uses it to check that they're all changed when when he's ushering them out to escape. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why they had to do it. It's it it needed to be there, but it just yeah, I mean, none of the mechanics of none of the mechanics of the story were convincing. Of course, I mean, I found it all far fetched. The idea of uh, grabbing a few vials of stuff out of the fridge and taking them and throwing them like tear gas into a, a massive cage and, and infecting everyone—I found that you know was a bit far fetched. But you you didn't mind in the context of of that movie yeah i don't think it is that far fetched because what they were saying was that you know they have a some sort of genetically modifying agent right that helps the brain to repair itself and they had a delivery system which was the virus so they somehow attached that dna to the virus or they infected the virus with i don't know however that worked so all you needed to do was catch the virus to get the serum having it distributed in a gas is probably Okay, but I found myself wondering about dosage and things like that, which I shouldn't have been thinking about. Like, did they get enough gas? Surely there's one guy in a corner who just didn't get enough gas. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't wasn't particularly scientific, was it? I, so I just shrugged it off and, and went with the flow on that. Um, but it's one of the reasons why you never felt you were watching real life. But look, um, you, you mentioned, I think, in the intro, Jurassic Park, or you mentioned it to me mm. at some point. Um, in the intro, yeah. As being a, as being a similar style of um, movie, I suppose. But the apes were far, far more engaging than the dinosaurs. So for me, that was a big difference that uh, the apes completely engaged me. Oh, yeah, I guess that, that is a big difference because the apes were the protagonists of the story, whereas... The dinosaurs are just the villains, really, in, in Jurassic Park. They do try to humanise them a little bit, but not... Partly partly villains and just partly just there. <laughs> I'll certainly remember Caesar and I'll remember several other of the apes. Yeah, just the same as I would remember any other actor. Well, that's that's exactly what they set out to do. I think that was the main challenge of the movies. So I, I think if you said that to the director, he'd be very happy, Rupert Wyatt. And that's probably why he neglected making the human characters even remotely likable 
James Franco, the main actor. I've never found him that likable. He's a good actor. He's good in some roles, but I've I've found him quite plastic. I'm afraid. Yeah, he's good in certain roles where where that plasticity is kind of part of the character, where he's a bit of a fake character, you know, like where he's putting on a front or something. But yeah, when he's just being himself, especially a scientist too, he he's probably very bright in real life, but he doesn't come across all that bright as an actor. I don't think when he's when he plays a character. So I didn't really buy him as some genius genealogist or virologist or whatever he was. Well, no. Um, when you're prepared to inject your own father with a um, unproven serum, I think. Uh, oh, I'd do that. No problem. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. I'd, yeah, I'd well, stick stuff in your food every time I'm over there just to see what's going to happen. Problem. There's the nub of the matter right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's our difference right there. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I put little little bits of um, medicine yeah. and gen- genetically modified stuff in all of your food when I'm over there. I'd, I really enjoy messing around with you. Uh, oh, you do, do it all you like. I'll never be able to play the piano like that. No, that was um, again. It's it, it's funny though because it is kind of a cartoonish film in a lot of ways. Like that that scene. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. But because yeah. of that, it gets through. It's it gets through so fast through the story. Yeah. It doesn't waste time subtly hinting at things. It says, right, this is what's happening. This is what this person thinks. This is what this person thinks. This is where they're going now. It skips years at a time, of course, to uh, yeah, to get on with the uh, to get to the finish. So you you clearly empathise with Caesar and a few of the other apes. Well, I empathise with Caesar, and I was equally scared of what he became. Yeah, he was fascinating, right? I did find the transition when when they skip five years ahead, and he's he's whatever it is, six years old by then, or whatever, and all of a sudden he's. You know, all he needs to do is like see a leash or whatever, and all of a sudden he's triggered with something that we weren't we weren't on the journey with him. Well, no, they no, they just skipped his adolescence really because uh, he was clearly um, well. Maybe he was an adolescent then. I I don't know what the difference in ages between apes and humans is, but he was starting to think. That was what came across to me. So, and as soon as he started to think about his situation and uh, had a few nasty experiences out in the outside world, he turned very fast into a unhappy and disgruntled ape. Yeah, I found it a little jarring just because we skipped five years of his life. I, I can totally buy that he would have developed that attitude over that time with the intelligence that he had, but just you had to catch up quite quickly. Yeah, and another couple of cute scenes wouldn't have gone astray or something in between where you made that transition a bit slower wouldn't have hurt actually i mean it's a two hour and 20 minute movie or something though so i suppose no it's it's a bit less a lot less than that is it i thought it was two hours it's, it's about an hour and three quarters is that right okay let me see on on imdb what they one hour 45 minutes you're right that's weird it said something different on mine i thought okay yeah that makes sense because i thought it went really fast for a two-hour movie mm. but that's so there, there was time there for another couple of uh, five minute um, you know, five minutes per year in between the two and the five year or whatever he jumped from. Yeah. My argument falls apart if it's not over two hours, so they probably should have included a few more scenes. I'd like to see a director's cut, actually, where it goes a bit longer. Oh, well, still, it works It works okay. You just sort of you feel a little um, rushed in, in, in parts, I think. So uh, the part that I still can't work out is why it's called Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Right. So this is where the original film comes in, right? So I mentioned to you that, that there was a 1968 film 
uh, with Charlton Heston yes. called Planet yes. of the Apes, right? So That's right. I'm aware of they that. They had to have yeah. Planet of the Apes in the title. That takes care of three quarters of it. Um, but the the intention of this movie and and the whole trilogy really is to show the story that leads up to what happens in the Charlton Heston movie. Um, and if you don't mind me spoiling it, I can recap what happens in the Charlton Heston movie. It's quite funny, really. Well, I'm not about to watch it. So. No, I wouldn't imagine so, especially with Charlton Heston. I'm sure you're not a fan, given he was a gun rights advocate and all that stuff that he did later in life. I'm not totally against him. He, he was in a movie called Ben-Hur, which is... Yeah, that was all right. As as someone who uh, who is in harness racing, I have to have some affinity for. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll forgive him for that. But either way, I, I would imagine it would be insufferable to sit through that movie at this point, so I wouldn't recommend that you do it. Well, it wouldn't um, it wouldn't look good by comparison, would it? No way. Oh, I mean, look, it was good for its time, but uh, Charlton Heston's acting is ridiculous. Like, it's just laughable. The whole movie is really corny and weird. And, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't even know if it's supposed to be camp. It, it feels like it probably is supposed to be, but I think it might okay. be a mistake. I don't know. But this, the story is basically he crash lands on a planet uh, the planet of the apes. Uh, everyone's an ape. They're all running around and they're talking like humans. Uh, they convict him or whatever. He tries to escape. I don't know. I can't remember the details of the plot. But then at the end, he's uh, he runs away or whatever. He's walking down the beach and he sees a fallen Statue of Liberty. The twist being that he just realizes that he didn't travel to another planet when he did his thing in the spaceship. He actually traveled forward a few thousand years in time to Earth, and it's been overtaken by apes by then. Oh, right. Okay. Humans have been completely wiped out, and he only knows that right at the end when he sees the Statue of Liberty. So it's a really iconic moment in film where he realizes this. It's a big twist, one of the better twists of all time in movies. It's just a bit, pretty corny movie overall, in in my view. So I, yeah. I, so what's this? Is this sort of another explanation as to how it might have got there? Is it? Yeah. So this is well, no, it's it's an explanation because the original movie doesn't give you one. It just has a twist that says no, he's on Earth, and this is Earth in the future, and the apes have taken over, and you don't know why. So the, the whole point of this sort of series was to say, let's give a plausible way that that could happen on Earth. Yeah, so well, that's, that's interesting, but um, I don't know. I think the movie would benefit from another title. Yeah, I think it probably could have been uh, nothing to do with Planet of the Apes and it might have been better. And they put in a few jokes. So I don't know if you remember, you probably probably weren't looking for it because you haven't seen the original, but there's a, there's a scene where Caesar's playing with toys and he picks up a Statue of Liberty toy and looks at it funny, which is a reference to the ending of the original film. Okay, right. Um, and there's mm -hmm. a bit which probably would have stuck out to you actually, where the the annoying kid who's work who works at the ape enclosure, where Caesar grabs him and he says, "Get your hand off me, you damn dirty ape." Is that a line from the other? Yeah, movie, Charlton Heston it? says right. it in the original movie, and there's a bunch of others as well. And I just thought, oh, I just wish they weren't there. I just want to be absorbed by the movie. And it was so close to being absorbing most of the time that, you know, those things just pulled me out of it. And I just wasn't, I, they're, they're funny, but I just didn't want them really. I, mm. I just, well, I don't think I lost anything by not knowing uh, what they meant. No, but that damn dirty apes line is, it stands out a bit. Did you notice it? You remembered it. So, well, of course. Yeah. yeah. I just thought yeah. it, it would have come across as stupid if you didn't know that it was a reference. And it's distracting either way. So. I don't know. But um so yeah, you've got two more movies. Would you be tempted to watch the the whole trilogy? Oh, I, yeah, I would, I think. Cuz the um 
first of all, the effects get better if if that's okay. possible. Mm. But I, I I think they get objectively quite quite a lot better because the uncanny valley is gone completely gone in at least the last one I remember. I don't. It was a while since I saw that second one, but I think it was pretty good then too. However, it's not as it, it's even less of a human story. You're literally in the jungle with the apes for quite a lot I, of it. I was going to say, does it just degenerate into warfare? Or? Yeah, kind of, but it's done well. It's done well. You do care about the apes. Mm-hmm. They have some new characters, and um, some of them are just awesome. And, you know, obviously towards the end, I mean, in this one, you can't have too many of the apes die, but in in the future movies, pretty much all bets are off, especially in the last one. So, you know, right. it can get pretty heart-wrenching at times. So. I'll probably I'll probably have a look at them. I reckon. Yeah, you mm. might as well. I mean, maybe we can we can do a a quick sort of addendum episode or something where you can tell us what you thought yeah, of those. Right. I don't know if we need to do full episodes because there's a lot of lot of similar stuff in all the movies. The two sequels got a new director as well. They actually um, became I would say probably more serious, less campy. So um, yeah, that was good too. I thought that was the right direction to go in. There's been a trend in digital effects since that movie. So that that sort of pioneered the um, motion capture stuff and made filmmakers aware that, yeah, you can make a realistic looking animal and probably a human now to the extent that it's not distracting. And where it's gone has been quite interesting. There's two technologies that have sort of spawned from that. One is bringing dead actors back to life. For instance, the last Star Wars movie, Carrie Fisher died before it was filmed, but she was intended to be a very big character in it. So instead of writing her out of the movie or replacing her with a different actress, they <laughs> took old footage of her from other parts of the movies and and sometimes digitally literally brought her back to life. They did minimize her role and they didn't go over the top and I'm certain they were respectful. They loved Carrie Fisher. It wasn't supposed to be disrespectful and they got permission from the estate and all that stuff. Uh, the other notable time that happened was um, there was a movie called Oh, there's a movie series called The Fast and the Furious, which you would have heard of, but probably never touched with a 10-foot pole. In, I think it was the sixth movie, while it was filming, the lead actor, Paul Walker, died in a car crash. So they completed the movie without him by making a digital copy of him. They brought in his brother to play the role, and then with computer effects, they replaced his brother's face with the main actor. Mm, Yeah. And they said that they only, like, when it happened, because they were kind of nervous, because it was one of the first times this had been done to any extent, because they were nervous about the press of doing it, they originally said, oh, he was, he was basically finished all his filming. There was only a couple of shots that we had to change. And then they came out a year or two later and did, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, and they admitted there was, like, 100, 100 or more shots where they had replaced him, and no one knew. Okay. So people uh, people would make fun of the movie where they, there's this one shot where you can really tell that it's not him, the lighting's not right or something. They just screwed it up, and it's a really important scene towards the end, mm. and people were making fun of it. But then when they did that behind the scenes, people realized there were so many shots he was in, and no one knew. No one knew that it was computer-generated. And it's getting to the point where um, you can you don't need the actor anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, so if, if yeah. you want to have a character that looks as good looking as uh, you know a Brad Pitt or an Angelina Jolie or whatever you can hire a much cheaper actor who's very ugly <laughs> and just put Brad Pitt's face on it or Angelina Jolie's face on it or can change the physical attributes of the character you can you know make a flat-chested woman have big boobs or you can do whatever you want like yeah, yeah. It, it, it's getting to the point where because it's convincing now you kind of 
yeah, it changes the economics of, of making movies. Mm, well, it changes uh, the economics and it changes um, the possibilities too, I suppose. But but um, just back to the apes, uh, I, I don't take it that because um, you can so successfully create human-like apes that you could do it with any other animal to such a convincing um in such a convincing way, because obviously apes are the closest to humans uh, in the animal kingdom. So, um, yeah, it, it, I mean, if it's, you suddenly had um, intelligent giraffes or something, I don't know that would uh, that would be as uh, convincing. However, good the effects were. The recent test of that was the Lion King movie, which they remade hundred uh, percent CGI with completely realistic animals. And I'll tell you that. They look perfectly realistic. Yeah, but does it make the movie any more enjoyable than the cartoon version? That's really what it comes down no, to. No, it, it did really badly because people said, well, they made the, the animals so realistic that they couldn't emote with human expressions because... That's what I was thinking. But with the apes, it's appropriate. Yeah. And also, they you know, they made the, they took some license with the apes. You know, I think they had their faces do things that real apes probably might not do. Although they kept Maurice's face pretty plastic, which you, you kind of have to do. They, they did everything with his eyes. But um, I think they took some liberties with Caesar. Oh, there was a few of Caesar's postures that didn't look ape-like at times. Yeah. Um, well, that's you know, Andy Circus's fault. Yeah, he did things that were more human than ape-like yeah. at times. You took that in your stride because uh, because he was borderline. You were, you were watching an ape one minute and a human the next. So uh, so he would have picked up some traits from humans. It's one of the hard things about the movie because you've got an ape that's raised by humans, but then when he acts like a human, he doesn't look like an ape and people go, oh, that's not realistic, which when it probably is, it's just we've never seen like an ape with blue eyes raised by humans. It's it's kind of they did it as well as they could have, but well, he was more an ape than a human to the to the people who didn't know him because yeah. uh, I don't I don't think you'd have got far if you'd have just yelled out to them, I oh, don't don't worry, he's only a human. I don't think they were gonna believe it. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> I wouldn't have bought that. I guess, you know, if we want to talk about the message, we kind of put that off, but um I think the message you you've already nailed it pretty much, which is Hmm. The way I would put it is more um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions is kind of the the message of the movie. I mean, the, the idea of curing Alzheimer's, I mean, you know, as as a family that's been affected by Alzheimer's, we know how tragic it is and how good that would be if we could cure it. Yeah. You completely pursue that as much as you could. I mean, it's, it's a completely uh, valid and altruistic goal that led to what it led to, which is relatively plausible too, not necessarily the apes rising up and, and starting a war with the humans, but um, certainly the genetics going wrong and, and you know, um, causing, having unintended consequences. Well, we're still trying to develop treatments for things like Alzheimer's. We're still doing it by using animals in experiments. Uh, I don't know to what extent um, an ape would be used these days. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be acceptable in some countries. It might be in others. I don't know. Yeah, so all the issues around that were what I took to be the message. It, it, you know, if you push the boundaries of nature too far, too fast, you get unintended consequences. I think um, one of the things that this coronavirus thing has really sort of forced me to do is to study more about 
virology and you know all that kind of stuff and and we've been doing some really you know frankenstein style stuff out there and not to get into the conspiracy theories about the coronavirus but what has come out whether it's related to the outbreak or not is that you know we were doing experiments on bats and trying to get um get um coronaviruses out of bats and make them transmissible to humans and they were doing this experimentation and they couldn't Could when they? When, yeah. when it came out you know um Science magazine wrote an article about it, and they couldn't explain why they were doing it. They just said, "Well, you know, we're learning more about viruses." Yeah, but you're weaponizing, you know, like you're making it transmissible to humans—something that wouldn't happen naturally. Yeah, except they know that a number of viruses come from from bats, so they're doing it to try and understand the ones they know about, and and. Uh, um, but they they f- also fully understand the uh, possibility of creating new ones or finding new ones and uh, and releasing them and that's however it's happened that's what's happened uh, with the coronavirus one way or the other. Well, I think there's there's an arrogance to to the idea that you can mess with this stuff and always keep it under control just because it's a level four security whatever blah blah blah. None of that stuff means anything. Absolutely. It's the same argument about things like uh, nuclear weapons and things. Um, same old argument, different circumstance. So um, let's let's get a score from you and final thoughts. All right. Well, um, final thoughts was I found it a very enjoyable movie. It didn't have all the ingredients of a great movie for me, but I found it certainly enthralling and uh, engaging. I found it um, interesting as well from a technical perspective. So, yeah, it's got to be a seven. All right. Seven's pretty good. Would it be fair to say that this movie kind of developed your blockbuster muscle a little bit? Because because I would say if I described the movie to you, you would have said, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not interested, right? Like on the face of it, does it help you see a bit of uh, the potential of what a good blockbuster can be? Uh, well, I'd say yes. I'd say yes to that, but I'm I'm not sure I was against things just because they were blockbusters. I'm not sure that's where my starting point. No, no. I'm just thinking back to you know the Jurassic Park. There's been a few sort of blockbusterish ones that we've done that um, I think they face a certain uh, stigma when you go into them. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's fine. It's just you like different types of movies that that aren't necessarily popular. In fact, you've said that. I'm sure you've said that specifically in in past episodes. Some of the elements of blockbusters, like uh, extreme amounts of action and uh, all that sort of stuff, are not things that attract me to a to a movie. So um, any of the ones that sound like they're not about that they're about fantasy worlds rather than real life, Jurassic Park and and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Is is what I mean by that. I don't know if it's the right word, but it's what I mean. They're, they're not real life. Back to the Future and um, several of the others we've watched, uh, as against ones that are totally relatable to real life. I, I'm I'm always going to be more inclined to go for the real life ones. So if if by blockbuster you mean um, one that goes outside my usual ambit of enjoyment, that certainly did as well as. Um, anything i think and correct me if i'm wrong but i think the difference with this one is it spends the time to make you care about the the people or the apes in this case that are involved in the story before it gives you the action yes yes it does 
So it, it makes you invested in the outcome of the war or the fight or whatever it is, the struggle beforehand. And that's what blockbusters have forgotten to do. They think the spectacle is what we go for when we go, we really go for the story and the character. We always have a bit of spectacle is nice, but you've got to earn it. You can't just throw it in there. Uh, in those couple of sentences, I think you summed up pretty well where I come at when I'm looking at a movie. Yeah. So uh, the important thing to me is the um, the human story and the relationship with real life and, and uh, the, the further it becomes um, an extreme departure from that, the less likely I am to keep enjoying it. And uh, that's that's for me when when those types of blockbuster movies do really well. It's quite rare, in fact, that that it works. But um, when it does, it's quite good. Anyway, I enjoyed it. I'll certainly uh, look out for the uh, two sequels. All right. Well, yeah, I'd be very interested to hear what you think of those. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do next, but since we're we're it's still in lockdown, I guess we'll uh, we'll ha- have a bit of time to work it out. And hopefully, it's not too long till we can watch them together again. Thanks for watching Rise of the Planet of the Apes with me, Dad.